This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Two lengthy shows on tap tonight, so let's get busy with Joe Friday and Dragnet. Here's another in NBC's great parade of new shows. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. Detective Sergeant, you're assigned to homicide. A mad killer is loose in the city. In every instance, he leaves the murder weapon behind. There are no fingerprints, no clues to the killer's identity. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, June 3rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was off duty reporting back in on an emergency call. It was 3.57 a.m. when I got to the basement of the city hall. The carpool. Let's go, Friday. Sorry to call you back in. Couldn't be helped. All right, Ben. Okay, Skipper. What's up, Ed? Double murder. When? I don't know. Found out about it oh, 40 minutes ago. You got any ideas? Roughly same M.O. Was that 6413 Norwich Giver? No, 6430. What do you mean, the same M.O.? The same guy. Brickbat killer. How many does this make? Counting tonight, four. We got anything at all? Mm, smudged fingerprint we can't even classify. Sounds like a smart operator. We gotta get him. If we have to shake down the city from one end to the other... Big job, Skipper. Big killer. At 4.26 a.m., we pulled up in front of 6430 Norwich Drive, a small group of bungalow apartments facing on an oval-shaped garden court. Two uniformed officers were stationed at the door to the apartment. Hiya, Chief. Hiya, fellas. We went inside. Welbert from Homicide was waiting for us. This way. In here. Well, 
There they are. Yeah. Mother, daughter. Joe, on the floor beside the bed. Yeah, a red brick. <laughs> Miss Hafters, we know how you must feel about all this, but would you please try to answer a few more questions for us? Yes. All right. Oh, Margaret. Miss Hafters, how long had you known Mrs. Diaz and her daughter? Nine years. This November they moved next door. I remember it so well. We got along right from the start. And as far as you know, the only close friends mother and daughter had live right here in the apartment court? Yes. Margaret was a pretty girl, but she was no chaser, no boyfriends. Very close to her mother. The two of them very close. Did they keep any amount of valuables in the apartment? Money, jewelry, things like that? Oh, no. Mrs. Diaz and Margaret didn't have much, you know. Very modest income. They both worked. And you can think of no good reason. Oh, no, no. Oh, poor Margaret. Poor Mrs. Diaz. Lying in there. Shock. It's a terrible shock. Wellberg. Yes, Sergeant. Would you show Mrs. Hafters back to her apartment? Sure, Sergeant. Thank you, Mrs. Hafters. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Poor Margaret. Well, Joe, let's check with Ed. He's back in the bedroom. You get anything from the neighbors? The usual, Ed. No jealous boyfriends, ex-husbands, nothing like that. Boys find any evidence yet, Skipper? I'm still working on it. You got any theories? And we know the killings were all done by the same guy. Mm-hmm. Cuts the same pattern out of the window screen. Cuts the same pattern with a glass cutter out of the window. Reaches in and flips the locks. All right, where's that leave us? And before he gets inside, he makes sure there are only women in the house. That means he probably watches the house for a few days. Yeah. Once he gets inside, he wants only one thing, to kill. He's never taken any valuables. As far as we can tell, he's never searched for any. What kind of a man works like that? I think the guy's killed crazy. Hey, fellas. Yes, Donner? Here's a break. Two fair prints. One thumb, one forefinger. What'd you get, Pete? Only got nine points. Not enough to go into court, but enough to make him. We'll know him when we get him. Yeah. Found the prints on the lens of the old lady's eyeglasses. Probably knocked him off the night table when he went after her. And when he was done, he put him back on the table. Yeah. Had blood on his hands, see? Yeah. That's funny, isn't it? Why would he go to the trouble of picking up the woman's glasses after he killed her? We'll ask him when we find him. <laughs> Ben, Joe, might have something for you. We can use it, Lee. Hold it just a minute. Yeah. Crime lab, Jones. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll tell him. Right, Ed. Backstrand. If you're through checking the victim's clothes by 8 o'clock, you can knock off for sleep until noon. What if we're not through? Take it up with the chaplain. Here's what I wanted to show you. Over here. A couple of casts. Barefoot print. That's right. Those from the Diaz place? Found them outside the dining room window in the flower bed. Take a look. Mm-hmm. Good cast. Size nine. Ten. Uh, missing toe there, huh? Left foot, first toe. That's lucky. Well, and the guy took his shoes off before he went in that house. That's the way it looks. You leave any other prints, Lee? Three, with his shoes on. Here they are, here. Yeah. How would you say the guy is built, Lee? Oh, from the impression, pretty heavy man. There's no full length of stride, or I might give you an idea of his height. How about the bricks, Lee? Here they are, all three of them. Used this one in the first murder, this one in the second, this one last night. 
Leaves them around like calling cards, and there's no way to check them. You never get a fingerprint off a common red brick like this, Ben. Surface is too rough. Well, I got an idea of his weight. You know that the first toe's missing from his left foot. That's something. The one we had yesterday. We can check that missing toe in the amputation file, Joe. Yeah. Well, we better get back. Pete ought to have those prints ready, too. Thanks a lot, Lee. Okay, fellas. Say, they post the bodies yet? Yeah, they're doing it now. Same as the first two. The brain? Concussion, hemorrhage. They didn't have a chance. Hold it a minute. Crime lab, Jones. Sure, just a minute. Either one of you fellas. I'll get it, Joe. Okay. Yeah, Romero. Yeah. Good, we'll be right over. They got a make on those two fingerprints. Okay, Joe. Single print file. Made him on the index finger. Let me see, Pete. Mm-hmm. Take a look, Ben. Yeah. Doesn't look like a killer, does he, Joe? Kind of nice looking. That's right, Pete. He said the same thing about John Dillinger. The name at the top of the make sheet read Carlos Richard Monterey. Male, Caucasian, age 19, height 5 feet 11 inches, weight 165 pounds, dark brown hair, dark brown eyes. Last known address, 1663 Naples Street, Los Angeles. Previous arrest, one... Auto theft, February 8th, 1936. That was all. Ben and I had been expecting more. The information on the mama sheet for Monterey was 13 years old. So was the picture. So was the description. So was the address. In 13 years, a man can change in a thousand ways. So can his habits, his appearance, his address. In 13 years, everything can change except two things. A man's fingerprints and a physical deformity. Richard Monterey. Here it is, Joe. 1663 Naples. Yeah, come on. Somebody's coming. Mm-hmm. Yes? What is it? We're police officers. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh, yes. Um, would you like to come in? Thank you, ma'am. Yes? Would you mind telling us your name? Monterey. Isabel Monterey. What is it you want? You're married? Yes. My husband is Francisco Monterey. Would you explain why you are here? We thought you might be able to help us. We're looking for a man named Carlos Monterey. I don't understand you. We're looking for a man. We'd like to talk to him. Do you know where he is? Yes. Carlos is dead seven years ago. He's dead, my husband told me. And does your husband know Carlos, or did he know him? He was his brother. What about your husband's parents, Miss Monterey? Where are they? They're both dead. Sometime now. Have you ever met Carlos? No, never. I've only heard of him. What have you heard of him, Miss Monterey? Do not ask me. This is important, very important. Francisco would not like it if I told you. It's important, Miss Monterey, believe us. Carlos... He's sick. His mind. For eight years, Francisco has not seen him, not heard from him. He thinks he's dead. But he only thinks so, Miss Monterey. No one's told him his brother's dead. He just thinks so. What else is there to think? Where's your husband now? At his work, the store, Rivera Street near Maine. Grocery. Monterey Cadroid Grocery. (laughs) 
Here's your change. Thank you, Mrs. Myers. Now, look, officers, you know how it is. You don't like to let these things get out. That's why I trust you. You can trust us, Mr. Monterey. We just want to check on a few things. Oh, fine. Always glad to help out if I can. Well, can you tell us if your brother was ever in a mental institution in his life? Well, I know there was nothing wrong. 1923. Got a little bad, so Mom and Dad had to put him away for a while. Just till he calmed down. I remember the day. Sometimes. Dumb, stupid kid. What he know? Standing there by himself in the train, crying. Public nurse, stupid way he cried. What do you do? I cried too. I was only 10, Sergeant. I, I saw him go. He was alone. Later on, Mr. Monterey, your brother was released from the state institution. Yeah, he was 16. And then he started running around, playing tough, carried a gun, lived by himself. He never came around. He dropped from sight about 1938. You haven't heard from him since then? Nothing. Never seen him. Do you know of anybody who might have seen him? There was a girl he had. Uh, Anita something. On Soteo Street. Uh, Anita Martin, yeah, that's it. Soteo Street. Maybe she's seen him. Ask her. Maybe she's seen him. Carlos? Carlos Monterey? Uh, not in a year. Last March he was in. When I was working at the Peacock, down on South Main. He came in, we talked for a while. That was all. And you haven't seen Carlos for the past two months or so? I tell you, no. Has he written to you? Has he phoned you? Mm. Once, three weeks ago, he phoned. Here. He left a message with my girlfriend. But he didn't call back again. Now, that's it. That's all I know. Thank you, Miss Martin. Here's our card. If he does call, well, you'll let us know. Yeah, I'll let you know. You like Carlos, is that it, Anita? Like him? No, I didn't like him. He was funny, but he was nice. You know, I pitied him. Why did you pity him, Miss Martin? Well, he was a good fellow who was strange. He could smile, you know. He had a nice smile, but you could tell he was never laughing. There was something in his mind. Something. Oh, I don't know. At least a year, closer to two, I haven't seen Carlos. No letters, not a card, nothing. He was in the East the last time I heard. When was that? A year ago, January. I was in here. He sent me a calendar. Sometimes he could get along fine, very well. Other times, terrible. I couldn't keep him down. How'd he manage to stay out of jail that way, Vicini? I don't know. Sometimes he should have been in jail five times over. And you say you don't know of anybody who might have a recent picture of Carlos, a snapshot? No. No, no one I can think of. Okay, Vincent, here's our card. If you do think of somebody, let us know, will you? It'll help. Sure, glad to. If I hear of anybody. What kind of a day is it outside? Hot? Hot. By five o'clock that afternoon, Ben and I were certain of one thing. Carlos Monterey was in the city of Los Angeles, somewhere. We drove back to the office and told Ed Backstrand about our interviews with Monterey's relatives and his friends. Inquiries and requests for further identification and information on him were immediately relayed to the state mental institutions. The 13-year-old picture of Monterey taken from the files was copied and distributed with a note of caution as to the age of the photograph. An APB was sent out. Stakeouts were placed at the home of Monterey's brother, at the brother's store, and at the apartment of Anita Martin. A special detail of 300 men was ordered to join the dragnet already in operation. 
The details at the airport and the bus terminals were alerted, as well as the details at the Union Depot and the main post office. By 6 o'clock that night, almost 1,000 men were actively working at the job of tracking down Carlos Monterey. At 6.30 p.m., Ben and I drew a four-hour relief period. We drove out to Ben's place, and his wife fixed us some dinner. At 10.30 that night, we reported into the office, picked up Ed Backstrand, and we drove out to join the manhunt. dragnet operation until 5 o'clock that morning. Ben and I took turns driving. Actually, the tremendous job of scouring 500 square miles of city for one man was only beginning. Unless there was an unexpected break, the search for Carlos Monterey could wear on for weeks. It did. Night after night, the manhunt went on, and day after day, there was no break. Sixteen days later, on a Sunday night, I went to bed early. I read a while, and then I turned off the lamp and went to sleep. Hello? Friday talking. Sorry, Joe. Get in here as fast as you can. Hmm? What's the matter? That girl Monterey knew. The one you talked to? Yeah. She left her apartment, went to her girlfriend's. Yeah? She's dead. There it is. Ordinary red brick. Found it by the body. How long has she been dead, Skipper? Well, she was seen alive about an hour and a half ago. Got three bare footprints. Good length of stride. Found them down in the lot beside the house. What do they look like? Same guy. First toe missing from the left foot. The same weight impression. Should be about five foot eleven. That checks out with what you got, doesn't it? All right, so it's the same guy. What about those shoes we found, Lee? Yeah, they correspond. They were impregnated with foreign matter. What'd you find? Particles of lettuce leaf, dry onion skin, traces of red cabbage. Maybe a vegetable counter. Maybe. What about the city wholesale market down on Front Street? What about any market in Los Angeles? No, Lee, that wholesale market is big enough to hide anybody. Hundreds of transients work in there. Some of them even sleep there. For a guy like Monterey, it'd be perfect. It's a fair guess. Check it when it opens. They open at 2 a.m. 2.30 now. All right, get back to the office and pick up as many extra men as you need. Get down there right away. Okay, Ed. Now, you know he's a rough one, so watch it. On Monday, June 23rd, at 2 minutes past 3 a.m., we pulled up at the city wholesale produce market. With the exception of 54 police officers in plain clothes who mingled with the buyers and sellers, business went along as usual. The market itself covered almost three square blocks in the lower part of the downtown area. It was divided off into hundreds of individual stalls by flimsy wooden partitions. To make the search even tougher, the place was crowded. For the first 45 minutes, we had the men circulate at random through the crowd on the chance that one of them might spot Carlos Monterey from the 13-year-old picture. It didn't happen. After that, we started a systematic canvas. We talked to the customers. We talked to the managers of the different booths. We gave them Monterey's description. We showed them his picture. Nobody recognized him. We checked the employment records one by one. Not a sign. Sorry, Sergeant. I'd like to help. I've never seen the guy. Okay, Mr. Snyder. Thank you. We sure picked the sweet jobs, don't we? Oh, yeah. We could spend a year at this. Well, Sergeant, Sergeant Friday. Yeah, Kamansky. Did you find something? Yeah, at the booth over there against the far wall. Thinks he might have hired Monterey a couple of days ago. Come on, Ben. Where? Over there, Sergeant. 
You sure I'm on race picture? Yeah, he thinks it might be him. Mr. Fresnetti, this is Sergeant Romero, Sergeant Friday. Yes, I told your boy, Sergeant. This fellow Carlos, I hired him to help uh, last Thursday. Big rush for me now, so I hire him. You sure he's the man? In the picture? I think so. A little older, maybe. Oh, but I know faces. He's the man. You, you're looking for him? You say you hired this man last Thursday? That's right. It's a big rush for me now in the morning. I, I hire him Thursday. He worked uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But he don't show up this morning, so I got no use. Too many men to pick from. He don't show up, I let him go. What kind of work did he do for you? Same as he did for Schiller down there. Heavy work. Moving the stores, they're cleaning up. What kind of produce does Schiller handle, Mr. Franzinetti? Fancy, very fancy vegetables. Choice. New potatoes, expensive red onions. Schiller sells to the big hotels. Does Schiller handle brown onions, Mr. Franzinetti? Oh, only the best. Big dealer that Schiller sells it to the big hotels. How long has this Carlos been working around the market? Oh, I don't know. Is it just the like of the rest? First he worked for me, then uh, Largo Massini, then a Schiller. Hey, why are you looking so hard for him? He stole something? He murdered somebody. Him? Mamma mia, murder. Do you have any idea where Carlos lived? Me? No, no. And if he comes back here, I tell him to get out. I got nothing to do with this trouble. No, you'll tell him nothing, Mr. President. Here's our card. If you see Monterey again, call us. Say nothing to him. Oh, sure, sure. I'd ring him. Uh, Joe, call the chief at the office, will you? Message just came in. Thanks, Al. Come on, Ben. Yeah, there's a phone booth. See? No, I don't. Where? Straight ahead. Little to the left. Oh, yeah. You got a nickel? Let's see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you are. Thanks. I'll see what Ed wants. Two five one one. Two five one one. Chief of Detectives Office, Hannah. Hi, Mike. Ed there. Ed, take it on extension two, will you? Baxman talking. Friday, Ed. Move fast on this one, Joe. What's up? Main post office. Carlos Monterey picked up a letter there less than five minutes ago. Come on, Ben. There's Ed over there with Welberg. Yeah. Traffic short jammed up around here. Hi, Ed. Friday, Romero. You all set, Wilbur? All set, Chief. Spring Street to San Pedro. Sunset the first. Got it covered. Good. What's the story? Post office detail tipped us off. Five minutes after eight, a man answering Carlos Monterey's description picked up a letter at the general delivery window. That was 16 minutes ago. Who spotted him? Sam Lane. Got a look at him just as he was leaving the window. Called to him to stop, but Monterey ran. Lane called me, and we threw a net over the area for six blocks around. And Monterey's still somewhere inside this area? I don't know how he could have gotten out. What's next? Well, I'll give him an hour to break for it. After that, we start a house-to-house search of the whole area. Stop all pedestrian and vehicular traffic for identification. You're going to jam up the depot traffic. That's cheaper than murder, Romero. Get going. The first hour, we counted off in five-minute segments. Like Backstrand, we felt close enough to Monterey to touch him. But he still wasn't there. The north and south ends of the blockade started to move in, slowly, searching every store, every house, every conceivable place where a man might hide out. In the meantime, Ben and I worked the Spring Street side of the blockade, watching the faces of the pedestrians as they came through, one by one, examining all vehicles and their drivers. The morning wore on, the sun came out, and it started to get warm. By 11 o'clock that morning, Monterey still had not been found. The temperature was 93 in Los Angeles. It was still climbing. The search went on. At 10 minutes past 2 p.m., Backstrand made the rounds. 
How's it look, Skipper? Not good. Going slow. How much longer you figure? I don't know. It'll go to after dark, that's sure. District down here is like a rat's nest. Yeah. Nothing? Nothing. But he's someplace inside this blockade. He's got to be. Any chance getting relief for the men in our squad? Some of them been working straight through since yesterday. Uh, I'll see. Check with me around five this afternoon. Thank you, Skipper. Keep a sharp lookout. One slip. That's all it takes. The search went on. At three o'clock that afternoon, the temperature was 95. We sweltered and we waited. At 3.45, Backstrand sent a squad of men into the Union Depot to search it from top to bottom. There was one false alarm when one of the men thought he saw Monterey slipping out a side door into a taxi. He turned out to be a train conductor. At 25 minutes past four, Backstrand passed along the order to our detail to start moving in, house by house. It was a tedious job and it went slow. The men were tired. At 5.30, the relief squad showed up. Ben and I stayed on. After another two hours of house-to-house searching, the trap was narrowed down to a three-square-block area, a single block wide and three blocks long. It started to get dark. Backstrand ordered out batteries of floodlights. By 8 p.m., the cordon closed in around the last two square blocks. Lines are all set, Skipper. Ready to move. Good. What do you think? Well, we'll know pretty soon, one way or the other. Frank, keep that traffic moving. All right, you two, get going. See you later, Skipper. Joe, let's take a look in here. Okay. Sure is an old building. Yeah. Where'd Kamansky go? Oh, no, he's here a minute ago. Oh, wait. There's his flashlight. Down at the end of the corridor there. He's signaling. Yeah, come on. Kamansky? Yeah. Down below, Sergeant, in the basement. Come on. Monterey? He's been there, I think. Yeah, this way. Where? Over here. Now, watch the step. The light's bad. Here he is. Says he's a janitor. Oh, my head. He's been slugged. All right, come on. How'd it happen? Can you tell us? Yeah, a man, a big man, hit me. I came down to empty the baskets. He hit me and ran. Ran over to the new building. The new building? Is that the one next door? Yeah, just a few minutes ago. Nobody's come out of this building for the past half hour. Every door in the place is guarded. No, no, not the doors. He went through the tunnel. I saw him. Over there's the tunnel. I'll take a look, Joe. Mm. Yeah, the tunnel. Next the two basements. Same company, old building, new building. The tunnel connects the basements. Joe, come on. Yeah. Kamansky, get out the back strand. Tell him what's happened. Right, Sergeant. And call an ambulance. Right. All right, Ben. Through the tunnel. Watch where you're going. The light's bad. Yeah, it is. That a door up ahead there? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Good. There's a stairway. Come on. Watch the doors. Joe, the elevator. They're both on the third floor. Let's head for the stairs. Ben, come on. One more floor. Yeah, right. Come on, hurry. Yeah. Look, top of the stairs. There he goes. All right, hold it, you. Stuck in the elevator. Joey's going down. Well, we'll never make it on the stairs. Joe, look. There's other elevator. The control lever's bent. Let's try it anyway. Yeah. All right, kick the control lever. Kick it, Ben. All right, Ben, knock the lever back. Come on, quick. Yep. What's the matter? No, it's jammed. We're going fast. All right, let's kick it. Here. Yeah, that does it. Can you reach the door control? Wait just a minute. I'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, he's still in the building. Both elevators are here now. Yeah. Down the hall, Ben. The office on the left, I think. Yeah. Okay, here we are. All right, keep clear of the door. 
All right, Monterey, put on that gun and come on out. I'll kill you! I'll kill all of you! All of you! Okay, Joe, let's take it. Watch it, Ben. He's throwing everything he can get his hands on. I'll kill you! Come on! Come on! I'll kill you! Get away! I'll kill all of you! Oh, oh. All right, Monterey. Come on, you! Okay, Ben, take him. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> nice looking guy. Clean cut. Yeah. Doesn't figure, does it? What's that? My wife would say he doesn't look like a killer, does he? What's a killer supposed to look like? just heard is cruel. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Carlos Monterey was examined by five different psychiatrists appointed by the Superior Court and was found to be sane. He was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. He was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. You have just heard the 17th in a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of W.A. Wharton, acting chief of police, Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to motorcycle patrolman John Kramer of the El Paso, Texas Sheriff's Department, who on the afternoon of April 26, 1940, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time now for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. For your enjoyment, Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum presents from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien as... Johnny Dollar... Oh, sure. Hi. I was unable to reach Mr. Snell before he left for the West Coast, but he asked me to outline the case to you and hoped you'd follow him out there. It's quite serious. Oh? What is it? Our company has been carrying the policies on a line of pleasure boats for a West Coast sales agency, the Aerocraft Cruisers. Within the past two weeks, three of them have sunk with no survivors. Bad risks. Yes. There's a liability clause. Next of kin in each case is bringing suit for nearly a million dollars. Edmund O'Brien in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Grand East Life and Liability Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during assignment to Millard Snell of your legal department on the investigation of the Arrowcraft matter. 
Expense account item one, $275 air travel Hartford to Los Angeles and rented car travel from Los Angeles to Newport Beach and the heart of the trouble. Snell? Smell it, Snell? Who is it? It's Dollar. Dollar? Hurry up. Get aboard. The watcher. She's wet tonight. Hey, give me your arm. Come on. Thanks. Didn't think you were going to make it. You talked to your secretary? Yes, that was yesterday from Chicago. Well, I didn't know where you were until I called her from the Los Angeles airport a couple of hours ago. And when I got here, your hotel told me you just left charter a boat. What's up? Myers, how long will it be? Uh, Robert should be here any minute, Mr. Snell. Couldn't leave without him. All right, if you can hurry him up anyway, do it. Come on in the cabin, Dollar. Out of this foul night air. Oh, I thought it was bad sometimes in Hartford. Another cruise has been reported, Dollar. An aircraft? Yes. Reported by a private plane between here and Catalina Island. That's 30 miles offshore. The Coast Guard been notified? Yes, but candidly, I hope we see it before they do. Find out what we insured. If we can find it in this fog. Find it? You mean this one is still afloat? Before dark, yes. Barely afloat. Robert, hurry, get aboard. Ah, there he is. The navigator we've been waiting for. I hope he's sober. Tell me, what have you learned so far? What makes them sink? I don't know. The sales agent, Fred Crocker. You'll meet him. Swears by aircraft. Says they're one of the best hulls afloat. Well, but the fact remains they've been sinking. Uh-huh, and a tragic fact, too. The loss of life so far has been hard. Three 28-foot boats, 11 fatalities. No trace of the cruisers, even. But a life ring or two. Must have been deep water, then. What about bodies? Seven have been recovered and four still missing. Ah, we're getting started. It was 10 p.m. when we left the quiet resort village. And it was dawn when we saw in the fog what we had been unable to find during a whole night of searching. The arrow craft, without sign of life, was almost entirely awash, bowed down in the channel swell. That's close enough, Myers. Right. We don't want to nudge her. She's allowed to roll over. Well, here we are, but there's nothing we can do about her. How she stays up is beyond me. Any chance of towing it in? Not in that shape. Give her any weight. She'll just take more water and go down. Can you put me aboard? If you want to go, I can put you there, but I don't know what your weight is going to do. She's ready to roll. What do you think, Robert? Oh, put him over the stern. That shouldn't upset her. You'd better get some of those clothes off, fella, while we swing around. All right. You think it's worth it? You're going aboard? Worth it? I'm not going for a night like that without having a look at it. Gives me the creeps. The thing a wash like that. Looks dead. Yeah. Too dead. Why isn't there anyone aboard? Why isn't somebody hanging onto the side? Okay, fellow, we'll move into it now. I'm ready. To get back there on the transom. That's it. Right there. I'll swing you right into it. All right. There you are. Go ahead. Okay. Hey, get off the go. And stay amidships. Dug it to either side. 
Whoa. I'm all right. Anything there? Yeah. Yeah, there's something here. There's a girl in the cabin. Her body floated face down in the flooded cabin, held in there by the narrowness of the passageway. After an unpleasant and ticklish 15 minutes, she was lifted aboard the other boat by three suddenly silent men. There was little else I could do on the derelict but memorize the name and address on the certificate of ownership. So I left it and followed the girl. I didn't bargain for this dollar. It doesn't bother me to read about 11 of them, but... But this girl... Why, she can't be over 18. Yeah, I noticed. You know, if it was a guy, it wouldn't hit so hard. But a kid like this... Beautiful. Myers. Yes, sir? Have you radioed in about this? I waited to find out whether you want to stand by the boat or not. No. We'll start right back. Get word to the police. Ask them to meet us. I think it's a case for them. The boat's registered to a Chester McNeil, Newport Beach address. McNeil, Newport Beach. Address. McNeil, yes, all right. You want to get us started, Roberts? Right. What'd you find, Dollar? Come here, look at this. See? Behind the rear... You see the bruise? Yeah. Yeah, I noticed it when I was getting her out of the cabin. She'd been slugged? She could have been. There's long black hair. You see here? The water's ruined most of it, but there's still part of the braid. It could have been a hard blow, one that might have killed a man, but her braid might have softened it. I'm looking for an answer to why she was on that boat, alone and dead. <laughs> It was an answer I never did actually find and prove because in the final analysis, the death of this beautiful, dark-haired girl was no more important than any of the rest of them. She was taken to the county morgue and after making my formal statement to the police and giving them my informal theories, I followed her there. Well, I take it that the deceased is not a personal friend of yours. That's right, Dr. Sane. I'm an insurance investigator. I'm in Southern California because of number of people have died in the sinkings of some insured pleasure boats. Oh, yes. The aircraft? Yes. And the death of this girl has become important to me. What's her name? Caruso. Antonia Caruso. She was identified by her mother. Antonia. Are you planning an autopsy? Why do you ask? I wonder if you noticed a bruise behind her right ear. Yes, I reported it. You're an observant fellow. Dr. Sane... You must have examined some of the other bodies from these sinkings. Were there any indications of violence on them? If there were, I was unable to discover them. The period of immersion in other cases, you must understand, was much longer than in the Caruso case. Water makes it difficult. Why do you ask? Well, the rest of the sinkings, the boats themselves have been blamed. But after today, it seems to me there's a possibility that something else has caused them, at least this one. The contusions? Yes. There were two other people on that boat, the owner, Chester McNeil, and his father. But the girl's body was the only one aboard. Why? Uh, I didn't know the particulars. I think the girl wore braids, Doctor. If she did, could she have survived the blow that would have killed the two men? Protection? Well, location of the wound would bear you out behind the ear. Could she have been knocked unconscious and thrown overboard and then recovered enough to get back on? Could this have happened to the girl? Are you suggesting homicide, Mr. Dollar? I'm not sure. Then I'm not sure why 
Perfectly good boats start sinking without survivors, either. But they have to make autopsy examination to determine the degree of concussion. And that's why I asked. Are you going to perform one? In the state of California, Mr. Dollar, except in cases of unquestionable criminal acts, autopsy is allowed upon only permission of the next of kin. Now, this contusion, well, it could have been sustained so many ways. Yes, I know, I know. As a matter of fact, arrangements have already been made to move the body to a private establishment. Oh. Um, could you give me her mother's address? Why, yes, I suppose so. But I'd be doing no more than saving you a search of the phone book. What is it you want? Mrs. Caruso, I'm the man that found your daughter. Oh. Then why have you come here? You shouldn't know my grief. I do, Mrs. Caruso, but I'd like to talk with you if I could. What is there to say? I don't want to see you. There's no room for sympathy. I didn't know anything about your daughter, but I'd like to. I'd like to hear about her. Why do you do this? Because... Because I don't think her death was accidental. Oh, go away. Why do you say this? My girl, she never did no wrong. I didn't mean that, Mrs. Crusoe. Please, may I come in? All right. My house. I'm sorry. They're not cared for. There have been so many things to do. I won't stay long. She was a good girl. She was going to marry Chester. His father was wisdom. She was going to marry Chester. Oh, we hoped it so much, Antonia and me, that it would be a good marriage. Mrs. Caruso. We always dream. We were good people, only poor. We give everything so Antonia will be better. She was so beautiful. She was going to marry Chester. I'm sorry she to got... bother you at a time like this, I am. Now, she's gone. I saw her. I saw her, too. And I want to learn why she's gone. Now, Mrs. Caruso, is there any reason that you can think of why there should have been trouble on this trip in the McNeil boat? Oh, no. They go many times. They love the boat. They go many times, always with his father to take care of them. He, he loved her, too. My daughter, he called her. She was going to marry his Chester. Be so happy. Please, Mrs. Oh, my Antonia. Antonia. Please, go. You know my grief. Leave my house. Leave my house. I left her house and drove back to Millard Snell's hotel. It was 7 p.m. and I hoped we could get to Crocker, the West Coast agent for Arrowcraft, before the night was out. But I found Snell white-faced when I opened the door and too anxious to show me the front page of the evening paper. 
I didn't know where to find you, Dollar. For what? And you haven't heard. Fred Crocker, the aircraft agent. He was killed this afternoon. How? Oh. It says traffic. Hit and run, victim. But I don't believe it. Look at this. Violence in another form preceded the tragedy, the story said. Crocker's sales office was entered earlier today in a bold daylight strike. The interior was wrecked, but whether or not the entry was for purposes of theft has not been ascertained. The writer didn't make any definite statements. But reading between the lines, you knew that he was exploring the possibility that revenge was at the bottom of both the violence and the tragedy. That those who had lost family or friends in the Arrowcraft sinkings had wrecked Crocker's office and then killed him. But remembering the bruise behind the Caruso girl's ear, I didn't believe that either. And now, with our star, Edmund O'Brien, we return you to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Snell and I drove out to what had been Crocker's sales office. A sheriff's deputy met us outside and took us in. You see some light if... Uh... Oh, there's a switch. Well, not as bad as it could be. At least the drawers aren't dumped. These are from a file cabinet. We'll start here. What are you looking for? Crocker's sales records. Sales records? The names and addresses of all the people who bought arrowcrafts from him. I don't think we'll find it. I don't get you. We've got a theory. That those boats didn't just sink, that they were boarded, that the people who've been lost were slugged before they were drowned, and that the boats were scuttled. What do you think of it? Why would anybody set out to wreck aircraft? Well, that I don't know. Probably because they're linked to something important. Maybe something or somebody is on an aircraft, and somebody else doesn't know which one. Here's the sales folder, Dollar. That's empty, all right. Sure it is. That gives them the location of every aircraft between here and San Diego. Sheriff... Nobody has said where Crocker was when this place was entered. They don't know yet. You got a theory? Yeah. That he was here. Yeah, that after the list of names and addresses was taken, he was dragged out of here and killed with a car for the same reason the others have been killed. Because alive, they might have been identifying witnesses. Well, they say everybody's got a right to his own opinion. But that's too crazy for me. Well, I don't blame you. It's too crazy for anybody. Maybe so crazy it'll never be cleared up. Expense account item two, $112 cost of entertainment that same night for as many members of the press as I could get hold of. They listened to my theory, agreed that it was unbelievable, but worth printing on the grounds of sensationalism. The story made the morning editions, most of the papers slanting it towards warning the Arrowcraft owners listed in Crocker's stolen records. But it didn't look so unbelievable because it had a companion piece. A night watchman at one of the yacht clubs lay near death from gunshot wounds after apprehending a prowler aboard an aircraft. The prowler was being held at the county jail. Who is this guy, Sergeant? Jerry LaBarbe is the name he uses. We put a search on him last night. He's one of those things you call a known hoodlum because nobody's been able to pin much on him. Known to the police in Las Vegas, L.A., and San Diego, to name a few. 
New Year's. I hope you had better luck with him than we did. If you meant that, you'd leave me alone with him for the rest of the day. Sorry. Off the bunk, LaBarber. You got a visitor. On your feet. Stand up. Okay, hero. You got me up. What's the matter with you? What's missing, LaBarber? What? What's lost? What were you looking for on the aircraft? Come on, who are you working for? I'm out of work. Why don't you save your breath? How many of the other killings were you mixed up in? What other killings? I get into a scrape with an eager night watchman, and now you talk about pinning other killings on me. What is this? Who are you working for? I'm out of work. You could do yourself some good, you know. I'm not complaining, am I? You were off to a pretty good start. Even if that watchman lives, you're going to be tried for assault with intent to kill. That's a long rap. You might make it shorter by using your head. Is that a promise? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. You're a sucker, LaBarber. But this is a promise. I'm going to see you charged for Crocker's murder. Who's Crocker? And I'm going into the business of searching arrowcrafts myself. Don't be stupid. Why not put the blame where it belongs? Blame? For what? Okay, Sergeant, I've had enough. So have I. I wonder how long it takes to get that way. For what? I'd buy and sell you, you cheap tin star. Well, what do you think? He's covering for somebody, isn't he? Hank, you're right. You shouldn't have tipped your hand so much about searching the boat. Word's going to get out. Out of a jail cell? He called for a lawyer, one of the hot men from L.A. We can refuse him visitors, but not a private session with a criminal who happens to be his lawyer. Oh, I'd like to hear that one. You should. It's going to put a bigger bullseye on your back than that newspaper story did. There was no trouble that day and no progress. We had time to contact two Arrowcraft owners that afternoon and went aboard their boats. Nothing came of it but a feeling of frustration because we didn't know what we were looking for, how large a small it was, whether to empty fire extinguishers or pick and open batteries. That night the news broke that the night watchman had died of his wounds. Snell and I made an attempt at eating dinner and took a bottle of cognac to my room to see what it could do. The phone call came at 9.30. Hello? Hello? Well, this is Dallas speaking. Who's this? All right. What about it? Not over the phone. You have to come up here. Where do I meet you? I've got to be careful. You'll know why when I talk to you. You have to come alone. What else? There's a place called Leeds Bar. It's on Long Beach Boulevard, three blocks up from the beach. You'll see the sign. I'll find it. You can make it in an hour. But you've got to be alone. I will be. All right. Quarter of eleven. What was that? Some girl says she wants to talk about the Arrowcraft. Wants me to meet her in Long Beach. Don't be ridiculous. You're not going. Somebody has to do something. Nothing as foolhardy as this. You've been expecting them to make a move. Here it is. You don't for a minute think she's telling the truth. I won't find out sitting here swilling brandy with you. I wasted ten minutes in Newport circling through alleys and side streets to shake any tail that might have been put on me. And then I headed up the coast highway. At exactly 10.45, I was ordering a drink in Leeds Bar. It arrived simultaneously 
with a metallic nudge in the ribs from a man who had taken the stool on my right. Drink it, Dollar. We'll get a go. I was supposed to get a message from a girl. You've had it. Come on, drink up. All right. Now leave. I'll meet you outside the door. Do I get to talk with this girl? She's outside. Okay. Here's the car. No, you, you get him in front of her. I'll get him back. Where to now? Just a little way. You weren't followed? I made it a point not to be. Well, you wanted to talk. Yeah, I do. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I don't think I care anymore. It's been like I killed all those people who've died. Take it easy, honey. You mean their deaths are your fault? Sort of, yeah. I mean, I could have stopped it, but I was afraid to because one of his men would have killed me. And I thought he'd stop me for this. Hey, who do you mean? Hey, <laughs> watch what you're doing. You better stop, when. This is as good a place as any. Yeah. I didn't go to the post because I have a record. And he's so powerful, he, he could have made it look like blackmail and it wouldn't have gone any farther. Who is so powerful? George Masterson. George Masterson, who's he? Oh, he seems like a businessman. He owns a line of furniture stores. I've known him for three years. It was one of those things where oh, every once in a while I'd learned something about him. Well, I finally understood what he really was, and he knew I did. What kind of payment do you expect for what you're telling me? Dollar. I hadn't thought of money. I swear I hadn't. All right. Go ahead. Masterson, far outside the laws you can get narcotics, jewels and furs, aliens, Mexican gold, anything. He runs the West Coast for a combination that has headquarters in Italy. Who knows this? I do. And I wrote it all down. Please to prove it. Like the names he uses for all his bank accounts to evade income tax. All of it. That's what he's been looking for on his boat. And he was afraid... Writing it down was the only way I could think of to protect myself. He was afraid of me, because I knew so much about him. He was going to have me killed. We were in Mexico when I told him, Ensenada. When he didn't believe me, I showed him a copy. I told him I'd hidden the original on a boat I'd visited, and that if he killed me, I had a way of letting the police know which one. Which one is it? I was lying to him. I didn't put it on a boat. I was lying. Arrowcraft was only a name I remembered. When he asked me, I said, Arrowcraft. You mean there's nothing on those boats and 16 people have died? I know. I, I know I was wrong. I should have. But when you're scared, you only think of yourself. Don't go in, honey. You'll be all right. This paper you say you wrote, where is it? I have it here. I want you to take it. Now, right, get out, brother. I want to take her home. I didn't fully believe her until I had finished reading her denunciation of George Masterson after they'd left me. But by the end of it, I knew that in my hands was the hottest document in California. I knew that hundreds of rotten lives could be crumbled and millions of dollars in criminal traffic 
could be stopped. And it did away with the possibility of any suit against Arrowcraft or your company. But it wasn't enough. I should have gone to the authorities with it then. Instead, I took a room for the night and mailed it to the FBI in the morning. Then I went after Masterson. I found him in a plush office in one of his furniture stores. Here. Just a moment, sir. You can't go in. What's the meaning of this? You're announced before you get in here. Not this morning, Masterson. I'm sorry, sir. Get somebody to throw this man out. What's the matter with you? Who are you? Johnny Dollar, working on the Arrowcraft sinkings. Gwen Thomas. I've read her statement. I don't know what you're talking about. About 16 deaths. The FBI can have you for the rest. But I want you for those 16 deaths. Get away from me. Get away from you. Stay away from me. Get up. Kill me. As I was concerned, that was it. The girl was placed under protective custody by the FBI and the district attorney, who had worked out 75 counts on Masterson's indictment before I left. It's too bad that all of the next of kin of the 16 dead can't sit in the jury box. Expense account item three, same as item one. Expense account total, $940.20. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Johnny Dollar stars Edmund O'Brien in the title role and is written by Gil Dowd and David Ellis with music composed and conducted by Leif Stevens. Edmund O'Brien can soon be seen starring in the Columbia Pictures production 7-Eleven Ocean Drive. Featured in tonight's cast were Gene Bates, Howard McNear, Clayton Post, Harry Bartell, Hi Averback, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is produced and directed by Jaime Delvire. The makers of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to join us next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, Edmund O'Brien returns in another adventure of... Yours truly, Johnny Depp. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me next week for more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.